Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. So I have four nieces and nephews, and I was talking to my sister about IXL. And IXL Learning is this fun online program for kids, and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI, so IXL gives the right help to each kid. And IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring, but it's out of the budget, or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And all of these listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash ologies. So visit IXL.com slash ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Oh, hey, it's your uncle's corduroy jacket that smells like pipe smoke and breakfast sausage. Allie Ward, back with another episode of Ologies. Okay, this, so this one's special because your ears are about to get a real mouthful about your eyes. So it's a very multi-sensory affair. Like, hey, ears, will you pass this highly informative binder paper note to eyes? And ears is like, ooh, hell yeah, but I'm going to read it first and it better not talk shit on me. And I'm like, okay, ears, thanks. You're great. One day we're going to do an episode about you, I promise. Just not this week. Eyes, all eyes are on you. I mean, all ears are on you. Okay. Eye stuff makes your old pod dad a little squeamish. So my goal in doing this episode, I did it intentionally because I was like, I wanted to get over my eye squeamishness and stop shoving eyes into a corner. No one puts eyes in a corner. Eyes, here's looking at you. Okay, but first, a little business. So thank you to all the Instagram pals. This week, little milestone, we crossed 10,000. I did a very small private dance in an airport alone about it and was like, oh, Thank you to all the patrons who support the show and submit questions for the ologies at patreon.com slash ologies. You can support for as little as a quarter a week, 25 cents a week. So this is a totally independently published and produced show. It is like I'm literally recording this in my closet and I record it on the road when I'm working. I just love making it. So thank you for making it possible literally by your Patreon support. So if you want to find other ologites in the wild, you can pick up ologies shirts and dad hats and pins and totes and backpacks and such at ologiesmerch.com. Um, also, thank you to anyone who rates and reviews and subscribes. That costs no money, it takes a couple minutes, and it helps keep ologies up here in the charts for other people to discover. It takes like seconds. Um, also, I'm a known lurker. I lurk. And when I'm feeling like so jet lagged that I want to go live in a hollowed out tree and talk only to squirrels. Your iTunes reviews always remind me that there are folks out there who are listening and cheering me on to keep making more. And it helps so much. And to prove it, I read one out loud each week. So you know that I actually look. And this week, I'm actually going to shout out. I think I'm going to shout out two because they're quick. Okay. Easy Anulo says, literally life-changing, 10 out of 10. This podcast inspired me to pursue my interest in bugs. And now I'm working in an entomology lab. Ah! That's so exciting. Thanks, Allie. Every episode is super fun, regardless of the topic. Listen to them all. Um, 
Congratulations, that's amazing. Also, Trista Edwards wrote, This podcast is like the manifestation of all of my obsessions. Every episode is like experiencing an auditory cabinet of curiosities. As poet, this podcast generates so much creativity and inspires a poem with every episode. Thanks, Allie. Soon I may have a whole book of poems inspired by ologies. Trista Edwards, hell yes to that. Please keep doing that. We'll buy your book. Okay, back to ophthalmology, which is a word that is like a letter party where someone invited too many H's. Like, oh, damn, why can I not spell this word? Just keep adding H's. That's the secret. And the etymology, if you guessed Russian, you are not correct because it's Greek. It's just Greek, guys. Ophthalmolos means I. Okay, but what does it mean to be an ophthalmologist. Okay, well, I called upon a longtime pal of mine, a friend who is not only super dedicated to his work, but he is one of the few truly sane people I know in LA. Like, he stands out at barbecues because it's like, what's that guy's deal? He seems nice and like he has his life together. It's so weird. He hasn't taken a picture of himself smoking or mentioned an improv troupe. He's also the type of friend that you can text a medical problem to, and if it's related to eyes, he'll weather your questions, he'll hook you up. Solid dude. And I just read the Yelp reviews for his medical practice. People love him. He's like everyone's favorite super smart cousin. The reviews are like, five stars would get treated for pink eye again. So I sent him a message. I was like, hey, can I podcast your brain or what? And he was like, sure, dude. So I drove the half a mile to his house. Have I mentioned I'm based in Los Angeles. Also, it was so hot out. I'm sorry. And we sat at his kitchen table and had a merry old talk about eyeballs. And he helped me face my squeamosity head on. And we talked about why evolution hasn't weeded out bad vision and what to do if you screw up on your eye tests and what to eat to have healthier peepers. And if phones are making us maybe a little cross-eyed and maybe very briefly, some very bad ocular accidents and what mascara is really made of and marijuana. And do I have eyeball tumors? And we address diabetes and so-called colorblindness in air quotes and why we cry and dogs who wear glasses. So there's so much happening. Please get ready to have a ball with ophthalmologist Dr. Reed Wainess. Let's do this. Have you done a podcast before? I haven't. <gasps> I listen, like I said, I listen to podcasts. Every day, I probably listen to an hour and a half of podcast almost every day. Oh my god! And I literally was listening to a podcast when you walked up to the door. Oh my god! So, okay. I just have to get right in here, like pretend, like pretend yep. like I'm on the radio now. Yep, it's great. Look at this. We're rolling. All right. Yay! Okay, Doctor Reed Wainess, you are an ophthalmologist. Yes. Um, I know you get this question. I feel like everywhere, like rental car counters, cocktail parties, whatever. What's the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist? I'm sorry, I have to ask you that. (laughs) It's the question everybody asks. So it's a good one to start with. So optometrists and ophthalmologists do a lot of, there's a lot of overlap. So they do a lot of the same things, which is examine eyes and treat eye conditions. Okay. Uh, Optometry school focuses on diagnostic 
pathways. So learning to diagnose certain eye diseases, learning to do refractions, which you check patients for glasses and get them seeing well, mm-hmm. do vision therapy, like contact lenses and low vision specialties where they really focus on your vision. Okay. Uh, ophthalmology is more of a disease focused specialty. Yay! And you go through medical school. So you're focusing on the diseases and treating the diseases, whether that's medically or surgically. So there's definitely overlap, but ophthalmology is more of the medical side of things. Oh. Uh, but that's blurred a little bit more in recent years. So you know, optometrists are doing a yeah, nice pun, right? <laughs> Unintentional ophthalmology pun. So refractions is what you call it when they're just checking to see if you can read the eye chart. Yeah, the torturous number one or number two, yes. which is more clear that everybody hates. I just did that. I just had an eye appointment mm-hmm. on Tuesday, which I... And you didn't see me. I did not okay, see you. Okay. Can you... But do you do refractions too? I do. I do. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought you only cut eyeballs open. No, I, you know, I can. I don't do it as my mainstay of my work, but usually for friends and family and people I know, I do that. I had no yeah. idea. Okay. I thought that... I thought you were the big guns. Like, you go to you and you're like, I think I have cancer in my eye. Well, sure. I mean, for that, you'd probably go to an oncologist specialist, which, uh, you know, you could see me first. And if I see cancer in your eye, we'd refer you out to one of those, thankfully. But, you know, that's pretty rare. You don't have cancer in your eye. I didn't realize until I said that, that I have been told I do have an eye tumor. You have a pterygium. I know. Yeah. I remember. So side note, I forgot that I'd made Reed look at my gross eyeball like seven years ago. Also, a pterygium takes its name from the word pater, meaning wing. And it's this webby wing-shaped film that grows in your eyeballs if you move somewhere with bleached bright light and you don't wear sunglasses for a few years. The condition varies in severity. Mine's not that bad, but it's also called surfer's eye, which is appropriate because it is clinically speaking, Helen Narnar. Anyway. Yeah. I, do I still mm-hmm. have them? Oh, well, they don't just go away. It looks like you do. Yeah. Oh God. I ha- So I have a benign tumor in my it's eye right really now. It's not really a tumor. It's more of a degeneration of the membrane covering your eye. It's okay. Pterygium is the medical term for it, but it's just a UV damage to the white part of your eye that causes it to get a little, um, it, it loses the elastic portion. So mm-hmm. it kind of swells up a little bit and grows a little differently than it normally would. And so... Can I use I have eye tumors as an excuse to not go to things? You can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, whether, you know, if there's an ophthalmologist or an optometrist at the party, they'll know you're uh, full of something. But, you know, you can pull it off. I'm full of eye tumors. Yeah. Can't go to your birthday. So how did old Dr. Wainus, who I'm, let's be honest, I'm just going to keep calling Reed because we're like bros in real life. How did he decide to go to medical school for ophthalmology? I went to medical school not knowing that I wanted to be an ophthalmologist, but just knowing that I wanted to be a physician. Really? So what convinced you? At what point during medical school were you cutting into a cadaver and you're like, you know what? Eyeballs. So definitely not when cutting into the cadavers, although that was some fun times as a first year medical student. <laughs> a few people lost their lunch that first day. I'll never forget that. Really Everybody barfed? Kinda, oh, yeah. Actually 100%, barfed? 100%. <gasps> So in his third year of medical school, Reed came to a fork in the road. Will he take medical path or the surgical path? That was me being like a witchy oracle deciding his future. If you're like medical, surgical, what, like what's the difference? Okay. One involves the phrase. Jerry, hand me a scalpel. So for me early on, I knew I wanted to do something on the surgical side. You know, I always loved doing model cars and building stuff. So I knew I wanted to do something like that with with my medical training. But with alive bodies. Yeah, but with live people, exactly. There's some, to me I'm like the leap between like I like <laughs> working on like model ships and like oh 
cut into an eyeball. There's sure. a very large canyon-sized leap that one makes. How did you yeah. do that? So I, I don't think it feels that distinct when you're doing it. Like okay. it just feels kind of like a natural progression of life. More like <laughs> I want to be a physician and I always liked working with my hands. So it's like a natural next step for me. And for me, all the surgical specialties just were much more fun. I just enjoyed those things more. I enjoyed doing things physically to help people be better. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank God there are people like you that oh, exist. Well, thank you. I'm like, I can't cut a raw chicken. And so thank God that there's someone that's like, yeah, I'll hop in there and do that. Yeah. I, who would fix people's eyeballs? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Like no one. So you were, was it the kind of the altruism of it? Like knowing that they're going to come out of this surgery, provided you're not drunk, that you're, they're going to come out of it better? Sort of. I mean, I don't think I've ever thought about it from that perspective. It's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, I think I just, it felt normal to want to do something to make a difference in people's lives. But I never thought about like, oh, the reason I'm doing this is altruism. It's more about just seem normal. I want to do something where I can help people and it just fit. So yeah, for me, it was kind of like there was never a light bulb moment. It was just kind of it just always seemed like this is what I should be doing with my life medicine. That is, oh, this is what I like. I really like treating eye conditions and helping people see better. And it just is enjoyable. You know what? I just realized you have glasses. I do. How long have mm-hmm. you had your glasses? So I've worn glasses pretty much since high school. Why is it so common? This is my biggest question. Mm-hmm. So many people have bad vision. If you put me in the wild or like on Survivor and you took out my contacts, I would die in the first like <laughs> 24 hours. Like I have no chance. I can't see anything without them. So why have we evolved to have such shitty vision? Sure. So that's a, a good question. You know, I think a lot of it comes back to what you just said, which is it's evolved. So we didn't necessarily evolve to have that bad of vision. You know, if you go back hundreds of years ago, we probably didn't have people who had minus 10 prescriptions and these super strong glasses and contacts that wasn't as common. We've seen a big boom in myopia, which is nearsightedness of having strong, strong need for glasses in the really the modern world. Mm-hmm. There's debate about what causes that 100%. Uh, you know, we think that being indoors more, a lot of close work like reading, computers, phones, all those things raise the risk of having a stronger prescription. So when we're at a young age doing that thing, those things that we all do definitely affects that. So oh some of it God. is is not about historical evolution of humanity, but kind of our behavioral changes over the last hundred years. So wait, what you're saying is wearing glasses really does mean you're a nerd because that means you were staying indoors, <laughs> like not getting any sunlight, probably reading. Then you're wearing glasses. Thus, you're a nerd. So the chicken or the egg, right? I don't okay. know. But yeah, probably works that way a little bit. If you're spending more time indoors, you know, playing games and doing things up close, you're, you're probably more likely to wear glasses. You know, one of the treatments they recommend for kids to reduce myopia is to spend more time outside. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, damn. That's the one thing I feel like we're getting worse and worse mm-hmm. at, probably. Probably, yeah. And we're just going the exact opposite direction of that. I guess like your kid reading an iPad outside doesn't cut it, right? Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) So um, do you think that like dogs and apes and giraffes and stuff have shitty vision and they're just like, man, I I can't read that sign? (laughs) Uh, Some do. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can tell, though, if an animal can't function because of their vision, then they're going to be walking into stuff. So, you know, again, evolution, I think, hits those kind of animals a lot harder than they do us at this point since we're pretty domesticated. Right. Uh, but you know, a dog that can't see, we all see dogs with cataracts as they get older and they you can see the cloudiness in their eye and they're bumping into the walls. But most young animals don't have problems like that because 
just their behavior and evolution over the years hasn't created a situation where they're reading things up close. You know, even if your dog's inside <laughs> all day, they're not reading the newspaper. Dude, that dog would rule that. Yeah. I mean, Garfield probably would need glasses eventually, but other than that, most pets are good to go. Quick aside, I needed to see photos of animals and glasses, so I googled animals and glasses, and it did not disappoint. I soon found myself on a website called doggles.com, which, as you may have guessed, sells Goggles for dogs, just dope as hell, prescription lenses, sunglasses for pups, and for a second, I forgot all about the world's troubles. Also, one study found that gorillas, are you ready for this, need reading glasses when they get older. So what is happening when you get older and you have to hold shit further away from your face? Okay, the muscles in our eyes, they make it harder to squish our lenses to change focal length. So it's kind of like your hand getting like too tired to work a zoom lens. But I feel like instead of reading glasses for gorillas, they would technically be like lice picking glasses. Okay. How much do you notice eye problems in other people? Like, for example, my eyes are garbage. My mm -hmm. eyes are tiny balls of garbage. Like I have pterygium, which are, I'm sorry, there are tumors in the eye. I'm telling everyone. <laughs> I, my eyes get red when I'm hungry. I don't know why. They get red all the time. Like, how much are you diagnosing people when you're talking to them? So not that much, surprisingly. I'm not just talking to people out in the street and really like looking, oh, do they have a red eye? Do they have a contact in their eye? Do they have right. a pterygium? Do they have a cataract? Now, with the influx, or rather, now with the change in policy toward wacky tobacco, do you <laughs> notice a lot of stony eyeballs in Los Angeles and California and also Denver? <laughs> so... I think it's uh, it's hard to tell because, you know, you don't I think I just assume at this point everyone in Los Angeles is stoned. So I can't tell <laughs> who's just got red eyes from dryness out there and who's actually stoned. Why do so. people's eyes get red when they're stoned? I can't believe that I, well, I didn't realize that I meant to ask. Sure. That. So we have blood vessels on our eyes. Mm -hmm. And when they're dilated, the blood vessels, they look more red. And when they're shrunken, they look less red. So heads up, it's the THC levels in the wacky tobacco that lower the blood pressure and then cause blood vessels to just bloom and dilate into something beautifully bloodshot. But that very decrease in the intraocular pressure is what helps the glaucoma patients. So if you're somewhere it's legal and you want the other medicinal benefits of cannabinoids but do not wish to look like a mugshot. You can go for lower THC products instead of just like buying Visine by the liter jug. You know, if you take Visine, it's just a vasoconstrictor. It shrinks the blood vessels on your eye mm -hmm. so they don't look as red. That's what Visine's doing to people's eyes or clear eyes, any of that stuff. I hear that stuff is garbage and oh, so bad terrible, for you. terrible. Is it? Mm -hmm. So it hides the redness but doesn't actually treat the problem. And then what ends up happening is your eye gets addicted to it. <gasps> so once you stop taking it, the blood vessels aren't shrunken down anymore. They kind of dilate up really, really big. And then your eyes look super red. And then you put more in because you're stuck using it. And then you're just in a cycle where anytime you don't use it, your eyes get super, super red. And then you feel like you have to use it every day. So it's very addictive. Just don't use it every day because it's, you know, your eyes going to get hooked on it. And you know, don't use it for dry eyes. Use it for occasional redness relief. That's totally cool. Okay. But, but, but in general, treat it like a special occasion type of vasoconstrictor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I hear you can use it on zits though, and it makes them less red. I haven't heard that. I mean, I will try it. I've got some samples. I mean, you're also talking yeah. to someone who's put hemorrhoid cream on their oh, face. Boy. So don't, don't listen to anything I say. So let's back up and say, Let's just back up and look at how does vision work like in a nutshell? Because it's kind of crazy that we have these eyeballs in our faces, 
what are they mostly made of? Are they mostly empty? Okay, so this, in a nutshell, in one paragraph, explains like the miracle of vision, and it'll change the way you think about your own eyeballs forever. It's crazy. Okay, so stay with us. Yeah, so the inside of it's mostly just an empty gel. It's kind of like a watery, gooey, Ooh. thin jelly almost. Okay. Uh, but yeah, your eye's like a camera. I mean, we know how cameras work. Well, people don't anymore because they're all digital. But we used right. to know how cameras work with you know mm-hmm. film and all that fun stuff. But your eye has a lens. It has a retina, which acts like the film in the camera. So okay. light hits your eyeball. And the cornea, the front surface of your eye, and the lens inside both kind of refract or bend the light coming into your eye and help focus it. Mm-hmm. So the light passes into your eye. It gets focused down to your retina. Okay. And then the retina has the rods and cones, uh, and it senses the light and the colors and puts it all together. And then the nerves on the retina collate together and send it back through the optic nerve up to your brain, where the brain interprets the image. Okay. I'm just going to repeat that, just in case you spaced or like... Someone in the park was walking a cat on a leash and you got distracted because this is real life. That shit happens. Okay, so the cornea is the clear dome covering the iris, which is the colored part, which lets light into the lens below. And the lens is a biconvex, aka that just means M&M shaped, jelly blob that works like a camera lens. So light enters gets bent, and then goes through your eyeball jelly to the back of the eye where it hits the retina film, which has all the rods and cones to pick up light and color. And then your brain, if you're sighted, takes that information and forms a picture you perceive as a reality. Now, just as cameras can have different like mechanical hiccups, so can eyes. So the top few causes of losing sight are cataracts, which is a clouding of the lens. There's glaucoma, macular degeneration, diabetic retinal damage, and in some parts of the world there's also things like river blindness, which is caused by a filarial worm that hangs out in a black fly. Now those are just some of the top causes. Here in the U.S., a whopping, are you ready for this, 75% of adults need vision correction, which means Reed can change people's lives and also has wicked job security. So, you know, you've got a lot of cool stuff going on, but it's basically just a poor man's camera or camera's a poor man's eyeball, I guess, other way around. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. I guess you don't, you don't need much money to have eyeballs, which True. is kind of good. True. Does the light go through the cornea, through mm-hmm. the lens, through the jelly, and yes. then hit the retina type exactly. of film in the back? Mm-hmm. And now rods, cones, what's happening? So rods and cones are the sensors inside the eye. The rods are sensing the amount of light that are hitting the retina or flying into the eye there. And the cones measure the amount of the wavelength of the color essentially coming into the eye. Ooh. So, you know, you think of Roy G. Biv, like, you know, the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, and whatnot. That Each of those colors has a different wavelength. Mm-hmm. And so the cones in your eye are sensing what wavelength that light ray is coming into your eye at. And that's how it knows what color it is. Ah. You've got tons of those little rods and cones in the eye. And so every little detail in the center of your vision can pick out how much light, how much color. And then the brain does all the interpreting once it gets up there. Do you ever just space out and think like, it's so weird that we can see anything at all. And what if I'm seeing everything in a totally different color spectrum than other people? And like, what's reality? I I think half the second half. Yes. I think the what's reality, like consciousness throws me for a total loop. But just the fact that we all have consciousness and thoughts and all those things. Yeah. I, you know, in my head, I assume we all see things mostly the same, but you know, obviously we all have different color palettes because there's people with color blindness. I don't know if what I see is red as a white. You see as red. Who knows? Right. Now, are you colorblind? One in 12 dudes, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty big number. I don't know the 
if it's exactly one in 12, but it's something like that. I think it's one in 12 for yeah. men and one in 200 for women. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty common. But again, most people don't know that they have a problem. They just That's how they experience the world. So real quick, those rods in the retina are for low light vision and the cones detect color. So we have three cones. They each pick up different ranges of light and color vision deficiency tends to happen when one of those cones isn't working right. So the story goes about a decade or so ago, while making protective eyewear for surgeons who worked with lasers, there was a California scientist named Don McPherson and he accidentally stumbled upon some greatness. So he invented glasses that separate certain wavelengths so that the eye can detect the differences between like red and green or blue. And so for people who have an issue with their cones, this makes flowers and sunsets and leaves go from muddy because those wavelengths are overlapping to just like acid trip vibrant. Now, if you feel like bawling your face off, look up and chroma glasses on YouTube or Instagram. Just Google colorblind glasses videos. And side note, the more accurate terminology in recent years is color vision deficiency, but people still use the hashtag colorblindness all over the place. So it's a good breadcrumb trail to follow. Now, either way, these videos of sometimes these like stoic dad types trying on their special sunglasses, it just destroys your composure in like the best way. There's this one video, one of the first ones I ever saw posted to YouTube by Aaron Williams Melee, has 2 million hits and features him. Oh, he's like, he nervously puts on this pair of these like $350 in chroma glasses. And with this quiet dignity, just very calmly loses his shit. How you feeling, dude? It's weird. He seems to almost struggle to keep his balance. He's just like washed over in this orange glow of a Virginia sunset, like the first sunset he's ever seen in full color. Can you, does it, is it very noticeable difference? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I'm shaking. <laughs> 10 out of 10, would weep too anytime. I honestly just watched no fewer than 20 of these videos. My eyes are so swollen. I just kept watching them, just kept crying. I knew what I was doing. I loved it. You just see all the, it's, it's so much, going, wow. Yeah. Crying. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, oh God, it's wrenching. Yeah. So what kinds of things do you have to treat? Like what's a typical day for you? How often are you like scrubbed in Grey's Anatomy style in, sure. in the OR? So I'm in surgery one to two days a week, depending on the week. Okay. Uh, I was in surgery today, uh, but mostly I'm doing cataract surgery. So, you know, helping people see who can't see anymore because their cataracts have developed from aging. Uh, I'd see a lot of cataract patients, glaucoma patients, people with dry eyes, macular degeneration, diabetes, all sorts of stuff that you know affects their eyes. But I spend three or four days in the office seeing patients. And how many of your patients are stone cold awake when you're operating on them? And how many are just knocked the fuck out? So probably 50-50, honestly. Oh. Yeah. So it, it, we give people anesthetic to you know relax them and IV and all that fun stuff. And everybody just responds differently to it. And I always tell people, like, we're going to give you just enough sedation that you're comfortable because, you know, the more you give, the riskier it is. And there's no need to do that with eye surgery because it's pretty quick. Like cataract surgeries take like eight minutes. What? Yeah, it's crazy. So Wait, fast. How is that possible? I've waited for smoothies longer than that. <laughs> how is it? How do, can you do cataract surgery? Both eyes or one eye? Just one eye. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Per eye. So most people do one at a time. The surgery is eight minutes, but the whole process is like an hour and a half. So, but the surgery is quick. You just go in and you make a little incision that's like two and a half millimeters. You go in and kind of vacuum out the cataract and you put a new lens implant to to replace it uh, and you're done. It's quick. I don't get that though, because 
the cataract, so you, do you take out the lens that's there or do you put another lens on top of the lens? You take out the lens. So yeah, the cataract is the lens itself getting cloudy. Okay. So I always tell people like, think of your camera. If you got an old camera with a cloudy lens, you need to replace it with a new lens. That's what cataract surgery is. It's just a lens replacement. Mm -hmm. So we take out the old one and put in a new plastic artificial one that's clear so people can see better again. My dad had that surgery done Mm -hmm. one at a time. Not by me. Not by you. I'm not offended. I'm so sorry. We had no idea. I should have been like, dad, come down here. But um, in low light, he has the most like shimmery cartoon unicorn eyes. They just like, they're like, bring, bring, bring. Why is that? Yeah. So the, the lens is plastic. So you're just catching a reflection off of it when you see it. So what, what happens in the low light is his pupil gets big. So his pupil dilates. Oh. So you can see more of the artificial lens. So you get more reflections off of it. Oh my gosh. So next time you know someone with cataract surgery, just like, like take a gander. You'll see a twinkle. Like yeah. it, it, you'll see, like it'll be a light off in the distance and you'll catch that twinkle <laughs> off someone's eye. Yes. And yep, you know, they have implants from cataract surgery. Yeah. You're like, what mm-hmm. are you, Santa Claus? Like, where yeah. did that come from? Just like, yeah, yeah. exactly. So different color eyes. Now the mm-hmm. iris is the colored part. Correct. Okay. So what's the function of that? And also I heard that everyone who has blue eyes is related to each other somewhere down the line by one person who just had crazy eyes. Well, technically we're all related if yes. you go back far enough. So right. probably true. Yes. Uh, but the different color eyes. So if you evolutionarily wise, if you grew up somewhere, your, your ancestry that was Nordic and there wasn't as much sun, you're more likely to have light colored eyes because it doesn't matter if too much light's coming in the eyes because there's not a lot of light. Mm-hmm. If It's just like having darker skin or lighter skin. It's melanin deposits in the eye. It's the same thing as why we have dark skin versus light skin. If you grew up, you know, your ancestry uh, along the equator, you're going to have much darker skin because there's much more light and your body needs to adapt to that. Um, and melanin can be blue? Uh, so it's not that the melanin is blue. It's the amount of melanin in your eye changes oh. what it looks like. So if you have a really light colored eye, you don't have as much melanin in your eye. So then why are eyes blue or green? Like what's causing those colors? Sure. It's all, again, it goes back to the wavelengths coming out of your eye. It's like, why is the sky blue? It's that same right. age old question. It's not because the sky is blue. It's because the light that bounces off the sky is coming at the wavelength that is blue. I'm glad someone explained that to me because I still sometimes struggle with that, that concept. So side note, the physics of the blue sky is called Rayleigh scattering, and that has to do with the size of the particulates. But in the eye, in the iris, it's called the Tyndall effect. So it's not that like Frank Sinatra or your neighbor's cool husky has blue pigment up in their old peepers, but really a lack of pigment that lets the shorter wavelengths in blues scatter and reflect back. So it's called a structural color. And it's why if the light changes in the room or if one were to wear a different shirt, eye color can appear to shift a little because they're just like freaky translucent bounce boards. Now, speaking of colors, I did not know that different color lasers can do different things. And Reed mentioned that a red laser can penetrate through different types of tissues than, say, a yellow laser, which then made me be like, oh, shit, man, lasers. Okay. Have eye lasers been a real game changer? Yeah. I mean, thankfully for me, I haven't had to experience that too much because they were around long before my time. But eye lasers in some capacity have been around for decades. Uh, people use lasers for LASIK and treating diabetes in the eyes and all sorts of other things, which have, that's been around for, you know, Many years, 30 years, but, you know, there's newer like technologies and newer types of lasers all the time and people always trying to figure out new uses for that stuff. When you did your first surgery and you're like, I'm about to work on a live, a living person's eyeball, were you nervous as hell? So 
Probably. I don't remember it too well now. It's been a few years. You have somebody sitting with you. It's not like you're just out in the wilderness operating <laughs> on somebody. And, you know, if you're doing something wrong, they're going to say, OK, step aside, let me take over and they'll get things back on course for you. It's not like all of a sudden you're just out on your own trying to operate on somebody and you just hope for the best. That's like, what I picture. I picture yeah. someone's, it's just like, there's like maybe a nurse and an anesthesiologist in the room and everyone's like, all right, doctor, go for it. And you're just like shit out of luck. You can't look <laughs> anything up. Like if you screw up or you sweat on someone, like it's your own. I just picture you being totally on your own. No. So thankfully, unless you went to some terrible training program, by the time you graduate and you go out to the real world where you do have to be on your own, you feel pretty confident. Uh, but it is still a weird feeling that first time you operate out in private uh, without a, you know, a teacher with you. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a weird experience. Anytime you're doing something you don't know how to do well yet, you feel out of your element and you feel like you're pretending a little bit and then you learn and you get better and better until you're really good at it. All right. I'm about to spill like a thimble's worth of tea about my personal life here. But so Reed and I are like bro buddies now. But before he met his amazing, smart, super badass hot wife, Erin, years and years ago, friends tried to set up me and Reed. I remember because full disclosure, we've been on a couple dates True story. And I remember like eight years ago, I remember me being like, how, how was your day at work? And you, you said the words ruptured globe. And I was like, <laughs> say no more. And I remember being like, I would be the worst girlfriend because I would be like, I can't even, I couldn't process like what your job entailed. Like it seemed like a war zone where it was like ruptured globe. Like how does that happen? Was there like a paintball accident? Was there like a car? Oh, like does this ever affect you? How does it, and like how much of the details of your job do you tell your wife? So, you know, when I was in training, I trained at a county hospital. Mm -hmm. So you saw a lot of crazy stuff. Ooh. Like I, I have some crazy stories. Tell but, me a crazy oh, story. Oh, sure. I will. I'll get to that. But my wife, you know, I'm in a boring private practice now, so I don't come home with crazy ruptured globe stories too often. But, Ugh. you know, I come home, my wife's like, how was your day? Normal husband and wife kind of stuff. And if something crazy happened, I'll tell her. But usually it's not that, not that gut-wrenching these days in okay. my day-to-day my -day work. So... Ruptured globe stories. I, I mean, I got oh. those coming out of the kind of coming out of the ears. Oh no! <laughs> What's a story that you can tell me that I won't throw up in a okay. garbage can right now? So, should I get a garbage can ready? Like, do I need to be prepared I'll just throw, in case? I'll throw up down my shirt. It's fine. Okay. So, the craziest story oh, God. I've had. Oh God! Is I'll, I'll tell the story the way I like to tell it because I think you save what it actually is till the end, and it makes the you know. Add, okay. add some drama. Okay. But so I'm on call. I'm at the hospital and I get a call from the emergency room downstairs mm -hmm. and it's getting kind of late in the day. So they call me and they say, we got a guy down in the emergency room. He fell off his bike four days ago and his eyes swollen and red and he can't see very well. He saw an eye doctor in the community and they told him he needed a CAT scan. So they send him here. Ooh. And I said, cool, we'll get the CAT scan and call me back. So this was at like, you know, 6, 7 p.m. at night. I'm like checking the radiology program on my computer, like looking to see when this CAT scan pops up. And I'm just sitting in the on-call room, like hoping I can get to go to catch some sleep soon. I pull up the scan <gasps> and I see. All right. Just please prepare for this. Also, I was editing this while I was making tea and I didn't know that the kettle was done because in my headphones, my screams sounded the same as the high-pitched tea whistle screaming. Okay. I pull up the scan <gasps> and I see a picture oh. of a nail that's probably oh. five inches oh. long. I swear to God. Oh. 
going through his entire eye and up into his brain, into oh. the frontal lobe of the brain. My God. And I was like, uh, I think I need to run downstairs to the emergency room to see what's going on here. Oh, my God. So the patient had no idea it was in there. And <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> so it no. was uh, this, the real. He lied and said he fell off his bike when he came to the emergency room. But the real story was he was working construction oh and the nail gun he was using backfired. And it hit him in the face so hard that he passed out. So he didn't oh. know what happened. Oh, no. And the nail went, I wish the listeners could see your face right now, but oh the nail went through the side of his na- nasal fold and up through the eye. And he, the, it went through so fast that you couldn't even see the incision where it went in because it was right on the fold of the nose. So it was like the perfect angle that he didn't even know what happened. He just oh. knew his eye hurt. My fucking God. Yeah. So obviously we took him to surgery, took the nail out. He kept his eyeball amazingly. But he's not seeing very much out of that eye because he had a retinal detachment and all sorts of other problems. But he oh. stayed at f- home for four days with that thing in his eye before he came to the hospital. I'm on the verge of throwing up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm swallowing a very a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, two questions. Sure. Did it touch his brain? Did he get to keep the nail? So, yes and no. It did touch his brain, but he didn't get to keep it. Why didn't he get to keep the nail? So, uh, that's a good question. I think that's a question for the neurosurgeon who took it out. Oh, so, he should have given him the yeah, thing. I don't remember him getting to keep the nail. Did he? Did it hurt his brain? No. I mean, it, the frontal lobe is kind of a, you know, it's hard to quantify whether that hurts the brain or not. You know, if you remember back to the story of Phineas Gage, he had like the nail. Yes. See the 1848 accident in Vermont when a 25-year-old railroad foreman had a three-foot Metal spike blast through and out of his skull and lived for 12 years after, albeit mm, a little less inhibited. Side note, Google image search Phineas Gage and you will pull up like a daguerreotype with sultry lighting of a bizarrely hunky dude. And he's just holding this railroad spike like a staff. After the fact, he traveled with it. He held on to it for the rest of his life. Also, I realize it's disrespectful because this involves massive head trauma, but the dude could still get it. 100% would still hit that. In the train spike or whatever it was, a railroad spike went through his frontal lobe and it just changed his personality. Like you can live a normal life, but it just like disinhibited him. But this was just barely in his brain. I don't think it probably did much. Oh my God. What if he's just like so good at dancing and karaoke he could be. now? And it's all thanks to that nail gun. He's just like, yeah. found out I'm an opera singer. Yeah, He could I've... be painting Picassos. Like he could be the best artist in the world now. Oh my God. Was he, were you there to deliver the news? Oh yeah, I was there. I, we were more at this point, just so amazed because he didn't tell us what actually happened that I was, we were like, come on, tell us what really happened. We know you didn't fall off your bike. There's a nail in your eyeball. Oh my God. So, when you told him, was he in shock? Did he laugh? Did he cry? He was, yeah, I mean, he was amazed. He was amazed. Oh my God. Oh. But obviously not surprised because he knew what actually happened. He's like, yeah, I did yeah. get hit in the face of the nail mm-hmm. gun. Oh my God. Full face yeah. helmets from now on with nail guns, definitely, guys. Definitely. Okay. So picture an otherwise normal looking x-ray film with just a giant nail floating in the middle of the brain. Just astonishing survival. And I googled to see if maybe this particular story like made the news. And you guys, I didn't find it, but I found several other stories of men who had nail gun accidents and didn't know until the x-rays came back. The wounds were so clean. But nails lodged in their brains. Somehow, the stories I read, everyone survived and was fine. 
I have, I have no explanation for this, but I did ask, and Reed and other doctors will always do CAT scans instead of MRIs in the case of any kind of trauma, just, just on the off chance that there's some metal up in your dome, which, if you remember from the radiology episode, would be very bad scene. Okay, but all of those people that I read about happen to survive. Whew! Okay, one more story, but it's very intense and was inspired by just that chill Bible verse about... Any eye that causes you to sin should be like 86th. I'm just going to give you literally the briefest of details. Uh, but took two pencils. <gasps> and you can imagine the rest. No. The pencils did not touch your eyes. Amazing. What? The good news in this story, everyone lived. Uh, bad news, not with great vision. Have you ever had any close calls with your own abols? Uh, no, I have not, thankfully. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you have you ever worn mascara? I haven't. Or do you ever see eye makeup or beauty treatments and you're like, that is not good for your eye. Don't do it. Oh, all the time. Really? All the time. Like so, what? You know, there's people, you know, we see a lot of patients for dry eyes. People who come in where their eyes are irritated. They burn, they scratch, they are tired, all that kind of yeah. normal stuff that we all complain about. Their eyes are teary. And then people come into the office to get examined and I look at their eyes and their tear film has just little black specks of mascara floating all in it because they put so much mascara on that it's just floating in their tears. Like, of course, your eyes are irritated. Your eyes are just sitting in mascara goop all day long. Oh, no, that makes me want to cry because yeah. I think mascara is made of like wood pulp. Also. Is it really? Yeah. Like Oof. part of what we adhere to our eyelashes to lengthen them is like wood pulp. True story. I mean, sort of. So mascara can contain rayon fibers, which are processed cellulose derived from wood pulp on your eyeballs. Are we batshit? I mean, maybe. But is mascara? Is mascara batshit? Well, according to the 2010 episode of the Kid Rock looking Rat Trapper show, Billy the Exterminator. Guano's beneficial to man. The number one thing we use uh, back 104 is mascara. Yes, ladies. When you use your mascara, you're painting back guano on your eyes. It's okay. They kill the diseases. It goes through a process, but that's all it is. Back crap. Checked into this and mascara does not contain guano, but rather it has this shimmery substance guanine, which don't worry, this is simply derived from putting dead fish scales in an industrial blender, like a fishy milkshake. Mm, who's hungry? Speaking of a sugar rush, how does diabetes affect eyes? So that's a really important question because diabetes is like one of the leading causes of blindness in the world. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So what ends up happening in the eyes um, is the retina, which is you know where the rods and cones are, like the film in the camera. The, there's a lot of blood vessels through there. And so the blood's not working properly. The tissues get what we call ischemic when there's not enough blood tissue Perfusion. Blood tissue perfusion just means that blood is getting where it needs to go. Like no traffic on the 405, all is right with the world. The retina gets damaged from lack of perfusion, of lack of proper blood flow. And then the response is a signal to say, I need more blood vessels. So this isn't working for me. I need better blood. So all that VEGF or vascular endothelial growth factor floods into the eye and it kind of floats in the eye. And the eye starts making all these new little wispy, crappy blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Those blood vessels aren't good, healthy blood vessels, and they break, they bleed, they scar, they cause all sorts of problems. So if left unchecked, these issues can lead to blindness. So go to the doctor if you can. Now, one thing they can do to help is use anti-cancer drugs for it. Like, really? Like, what in the Sam hell? How does that work? 
we actually inject it into the eye and it turns down that signal. So the blood vessels start to shrink down. So those new little wispy, crummy blood vessels shrink, disappear, uh, and you can reverse some of that. Some of the damage is permanent, but you can reverse some of it. Oh, I, I didn't realize that diabetes and eyesight were so linked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you're seeing more and more in that. We see tons of it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the really important things, if you have family or friends or yourself are diabetic, mm-hmm. yearly eye exams are so crucial because if you catch it early, we can treat it with lasers or injections, different things that stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can really save people from going blind when we treat it early. Speaking again of eye lasers. Okay, let's talk LASIK. Sure. So many people have gotten it. I'm going to let you know, so many people I know who have gotten it and had crappy experiences. And I'm scared of it. That's too bad. And I'm sure there are so many people I know that have gotten it and just Mm -hmm. said nothing. And it's only the vocal people who are like putting on Facebook that their eyes are bleeding or whatever. But (laughs) what happens with LASIK? How safe is it? So let's start with the... Number one thing is it's very safe. Okay. So, you know, like anything, you hear the bad stories. You don't hear the good stories. Mm -hmm. So everybody who has a bad result is going to talk about it. Right. Uh, The 99% of people who have a perfect result are just going with their lives and are happy. Right. So, you know, the loud people (laughs) are the people who are unhappy and of anything, medical procedures included. How come you Uh, haven't gotten it? So I don't mind wearing glasses. I have a small prescription. Okay. So I'm happy wearing glasses. Like, I think I look dapper with glasses. I'm happy with them. It's a good look. And also it's on brand for you. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. So you might say that for Dr. Wayness, the glass is half full. Uh, So LASIK is basically reshaping the eye Mm -hmm. to build your prescription into your eye. Okay. So your glasses work by bending light. So the way your eye works right now is, we talked about this earlier, the cornea and the lens bend the light coming into your eye and it focuses on the retina. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need glasses at all, it means that's focusing in the right place. It's focusing right on your retina. Oh, okay. If you're nearsighted, it means your eyeball is too long. So that focus is actually happening. The, the image is actually focusing on the middle inside of your eyeball and not making it all the way to the back of the eye to where it's supposed to be. No way. So I got long eyeballs. You got long eyeballs. Mm-hmm. No way. I never realized yeah. that's my vision. How did I not ask that earlier? Yeah. So that's ah. if you're, the more nearsighted you are, probably the more uh, elongated or longer your eye is. Oh, my God. So the average eye is like 23, 24 millimeters long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I have a patient scheduled for surgery that has an axial length or a length of their eyeball of 31 millimeters. <gasps> so they're really, really nearsighted. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the longer your eye is, the higher your prescription. So anyways, so the way your glasses work or mm-hmm. contacts is they bend the light into a different way. So the light coming into your eye is bent. It's hitting the focal point in the wrong spot. So the lenses that you put in front of your eye just change the way that light is bending mm-hmm. so that it focuses in the correct place. Wow. So LASIK is doing the same thing. We're reshaping the cornea to change the way the light comes into your eyes, so it bends and focuses in the right place. But you're not changing the length of the eyeball. Correct. Okay. We can't change that. So with LASIK, they flatten or they steepen the angle of that cornea, that dome that covers your iris, and that changes the way that the light bends before it hits your little jelly lens inside. And so why does it not work for some people? Or can your can your body grow it back to whatever bad shape it was to begin with? No. Okay. So your eye is not going to change. Your eye does change. So, you know, if you laser your cornea to a different shape, it's not going to regress back to the old shape it was in mm-hmm. because they actually remove layers of the cornea and they're gone. Woo! So that's what the laser does. The laser is ablating or, or destroying layers of your cornea okay. to flatten it out. Okay. So it's pretty crazy stuff when you actually think about what's actually happening, but yeah, it's no, really okay. amazing that it works and that people figured it out. Um, and it doesn't hurt. 
It doesn't hurt. No, you numb the eye. You put a little eye drop on there and it numbs it so it'll burn for like five seconds when you put the numbing drop on and then it doesn't hurt at all. And then uh, when our eyes get worse and worse every year, is it because our eyeballs getting longer or what's happening? Most of it is the change in the lens inside of your eye, the cornea inside the eye. All right. Let's talk about eyes and phones. Okay. Um, I feel like I worry that my phone is making me cross-eyed <laughs> or giving me like one wonky eye. Do I have a wonky eye? You don't have wonky eye. Are you lying to me? I'm not lying to okay. you. Okay. And if I was, I wouldn't know which eye to look at. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like no, in I'm pictures, kidding. sometimes I'll look and I'll be like, where are my eyes looking right yeah, now? Yeah, you might have just not been looking at the camera. Okay. That's possible. P.S. So we took a quick selfie on his porch for Instagram after we recorded. And sure enough, I was just looking at the screen of my phone instead of the actual camera lens. And my eyes looked weird. And he was like, my God. What a dipshit. But are phones doing terrible things to our eyes? So, yes and no. I mean, they're not doing anything that bad. They're okay. making our eyes more dry. Because what ends up happening, anytime you stare at something really intently, like your phone, a computer, even a newspaper, you don't blink as much. Oh. And so your eyes get drier and drier. And the tears have different layers in them. We have oil that comes from our eyelids. And we know that doing a lot of close-up work and using screens uh, makes that oil production not work. Oh. Properly, at least. It doesn't work properly. It works, but it just doesn't work as it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. So we get blockages of the oil glands in our eyes. So it's very common. We see people in our office. I look at their eyelids and I can see their oil glands are all plugged up. Really? Yeah. And you literally just put heat on it and that helps. So you put hot compresses on the eyes or nutritional supplements like fatty omega-3 fatty acids. That kind of stuff helps. How can you tell? Are there little bumps? There are. There's little glands. So if you Google uh, meibomian gland, sure. you'll see tons of Google images of people's meibomian glands. And you'll see these little white dots right at the base of every eyelash pretty much. Uh-huh. Uh, and in somebody with blockages of those, they kind of look big and bulgy. So really? it's like a pimple. I mean, it looks like, you know tiny little pimple. It's like a little ball of white goop that's kind of stuck there where the oil's not flowing out properly. Okay, so I didn't look this up and oh god. So if you've completely desensitized yourself to Dr. Pimple Popper and are looking for like a stronger, barfier fix, feel free to saunter into the dark underworld that is a YouTube search for mybomium gland expression, wherein a doctor just gently wedges a metal paddle into your eye and then presses your lid into it erupting what appears to be butter in a linear fashion like the Bellagio fountain in Vegas, only tiny, oily, and out of your eyeballs. So that's what you're doing to your eye when you're staring at your phone. You're making it dry. You're disrupting the oil mechanism of the eye. You're not like causing yourself to go blind. You're not going to cause any permanent problems, but you are just irritating your eye. Oh, God, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But it's um, but it's not going to be something permanent. No, I mean, some of it, you know, we're, it's permanent in that you're not going to give up your phone. So, you know, I don't think we're going to have a purge and I'll get rid of technology and... I don't know. You know maybe we will. I, this, I feel like the apocalypse is an eye. And it's I possible. Mean, I mean that in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Just start over. So side note, Reed had also told me that the puff test at the doctor is measuring your intraocular pressure. Like if the air flattens it, not enough pressure, but if it barely budges, you might have a bulge issue, like possibly from glaucoma. So contrary to common beliefs, it's not merely a tool to scare the shit out of you and deliver perverse joy to eye doctors. Also, are tears different depending on if they're tears of joy, tears of sadness? Have you seen that thing going around? There are, there, tears are different. So I don't know about the emotional component of the tears, but there are definitely different 
proteins in your tears for different things. So we all have tears that are on our eyes 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And when we cry, we make a totally different type of tear. So if you looked at it under a microscope, they would look totally different. Really? Yeah. I think it holds true for different emotional states as well. So side note, a few years back, photographer Rose Lynn Fisher released a series of dozens of microscopic images of dried tears. And tears, apparently, there are three types. There are basal tears. Those are the everyday ones that our eyes use just to stay moist. There are psychic tears caused by grief or laughing or frustration. And then there are reflex tears, which could be caused by like onion vapors or dust. So Rosalind Fisher collected over a hundred samples from herself and from volunteers. And they all dried in these really beautiful and wildly varying patterns. And they look like land from an aerial view, kind of like a stark black and white satellite map. And so she called the project Topography of Tears. Now, some of the variation can depend on the drying conditions and the salinity, but psychic tears, the emotional ones, do contain more of a protein-based hormone that acts as a painkiller. So when you're out there, like, having a good face rain, watching a dude having a face rain, wearing color vision deficiency glasses, your body is like, this much beauty, this much beauty, it hurts me, make it stop. Humans are so cute. Also, we get befuddled a lot, for example. But people always get really confused because they come to the doctor and they say, my eyes are watering. And I'm like, you have dry eyes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I don't. I have wet eyes. And it's like, well, no, your eye is crying because the tears that are supposed to be just sitting on the eye all the time, which are a different type of tears, aren't there. That's so, so that's so funny. Because if I were your patient, would be like, I don't look at how wet my whole yeah. face is wet. Mm-hmm. Oh so my you're God. tearing to fix the fact that your eyes are dry with a different type of tear that's not doing what you really need. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So quick aside, Reed started telling me another story about his days in the trenches as an emergency eye doctor and a 16 year old patient he saw. And I'm going to redact most of it and I'm just going to let you visualize the rest. But firework wasn't working. Homemade firework, of course. It's oh. always a homemade firework. Yep. Okay. That's all you need. Let's just say he has one glass eye now. Or does he? There, He was like an inspirational kid, you know, just like oh. got him an artificial, you know, fake eye and he was happy and looked good and how lived those, a normal life. How do those glass eyes work? And so they're they not glass, glass eyes. Okay. So glass eyes is like maybe a hundred years ago people used glass eyes or I don't know when, but okay. nobody uses glass eyes now. So basically you take out the eye and you put a, a ball in there. It can be like a silicone implant ball or like a little porous implant. Uh, and basically you cover it with the membranes that normally cover the eye. So you actually remove the eyeball itself, but you leave all like the membranes around it. it would, the whole eye would just be white like your eye is now. So it would just look white across the whole thing. And then they get a little prosthetic shell that's like a giant contact lens. Mm-hmm. And it sits on top of that. And they paint it to match your other eye. So you probably have interacted with people that you don't even know have a fake eye because it's painted to look exactly like their other eye. What's that job yeah. like? Is it like it's an really artisan? It's cool. It's an who... ocularist. Reed told me that this job is called an ocularist. And in case you need someone, Dr. Stephen Haddad in LA, one of the best in the world. And wouldn't you know it, it was Friday night and I just found myself like 17 photos deep on this ocularist's website. They have a patient gallery and I'm just... I am genuinely thrilled to report that it is extremely unsatisfying. Just a bunch of photos of totally garden variety, nice looking people, nothing out of the ordinary. Everyone just looks healthy and happy. So good job. There's just amazing artistic people 
that do phenomenal work. So, so under over the implant is is actual your tissue. Yeah. So if you think about, most people don't really understand the anatomy of the eye, but the eye, the white of your eye is the sclera, mm-hmm. but then there's the conjunctiva, which is the membrane that covers it. Mm-hmm. So you've actually got different layers there. So you can remove the eye, but leave the conjunctiva. So the sclera would be gone because the eyeball itself is removed, mm-hmm. but the membranes that kind of sit on top of that, those can be closed back up. So you put a fake eye behind it and then you close those membranes on top of it. And then how often mm-hmm. do you have to put in that kind of covering? So that- most people wear it all the time. You can, depending, I think on the person's comfort level, it's like a giant, huge contact lens, but they give you like a little plunger so you can pull it out like a contact lens and everything. And then... So some fun celeb trivia. So Sammy Davis Jr. and... Peter Falk, who played the detective Columbo, both had eye implants. And even cooler than that is that you've probably met a ton of people in real life who have them, but ocularists are such skilled wizards, you just never know. It's like no biggie. Okay, on to one more thing that you don't know. Okay, are you ready for rapid fire round? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, now you've looked at these questions. I cheated, yeah. I saw you became a patron, and I was yeah, like, yeah. number one, it's fine if you want to become a patron to look at your questions, but you don't have to give me five bucks a month. You could do it for a dollar a month. Well, That'll okay. get you I in. I support you. That, I was like, you could have gotten in for a lot less. No, you asked me to do this podcast, and I started listening, and now I enjoy the ologies, so I'm, I'm a patron now. <laughs> okay. All right, but I was like, you didn't have to come in falling so hard. Oh no, I can I can handle five dollars. Okay, well, yeah, if you yeah. need to drop it down to one, if for it's some okay. reason you don't like it, yeah, if we need to start a college fund or something for the baby. <laughs> drop it down to one. We'll drop it to one. Colleen Thompson, I love also that if anyone hears any munching or bowl scraping, that's your little pup, your pup who has cataracts. He definitely does. <laughs> do you, he's, he's sixteen years old. He's an old little guy. Do you ever want to do cataract surgery on your dog? I don't. I don't know much about operating on dogs. And also, people are much easier to anesthetize and keep still than a dog. That's a good point. Uh, I, I can't even brush my dog's teeth because he uses spaz. So the he's thought so of cute. the thought of operating on his eyeball does not excite me. Hi, I just love that he's like he's like a, a living demonstration of what cataracts are. Um, <laughs> okay, so rapid fire questions. Here we go. Sure. We're going to try and get through as many as we can. We'll see. Do it. But before we take questions from you, our beloved listeners, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors of the show. Sponsors? Why sponsors? You know what they do? They help us give money to different charities every week. So if you want to know where Ologies gives our money, you can go to AllieWord.com and look for the tab Ologies Gives Back. There's like 150 different charities that we've given to already with more every single week. So if you need a place to go donate a little bit of money, but you're not sure where to go, those are all picked by ologists who work in those fields. And this ad break allows us to give a ton of money to them. So thanks for listening and thanks sponsors. This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared? And then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your 
your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy-to-use payment tools, so checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. Allergies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Claritin. So luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This is designed for serious allergy sufferers and Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. Relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Just boom, down the hatch. You can get non-drowsy relief of allergy symptoms. And with Claritin D, you can still make the most of your day without compromise or looking like you've been crying. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Your pod mother, Jarrett, terrible allergies, and was recently shooting an indie movie that was filming in a house that had seven cats. Guess who's allergic to cats? Him. So yeah, we always have Claritin in like each of our cars. Essentially, Claritin D is the third in our relationship. It's fast and powerful relief. It's just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas, but Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and homestyle recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it, it's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. 
So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Okay, your questions. Um, Colleen Thompson mm-hmm. asks, can you really get a weed card for glaucoma? Asking for a friend, it me. Well, thankfully you can pretty much get a weed card for anything. Yeah. So you just have to tell them I have anxiety and they'll give you a weed card. <laughs> so marijuana, it's actually a common question about marijuana and glaucoma. So marijuana does help glaucoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, glaucoma is a disease where the nerve in your eye gets damaged. And the way we treat that is by lowering the eye pressure and smoking marijuana or ingesting marijuana lowers your eye pressure. However, it does it for a very short period of time. So we have medications that work much, much better. You put an eye drop in your eye once a day and it's going to lower your eye pressure for 24 hours. You smoke a joint, it's going to lower your eye pressure for maybe an hour. So we don't prescribe it for that because it's not as good of a treatment as the other treatments we do have. Got it. Um, But also it gives you feathery, feathery eyelashes, right? The glaucoma medication? The drops do, yeah. Yeah. They absolutely do. And that's what Latisse is too. So it's it's the same thing. So if you ever go and buy Latisse, you're just buying a glaucoma medication. So the reason they came up with Latisse is the glaucoma patients were getting thick eyelashes. So people were taking these medications, they noticed their eyelashes were growing and getting thick. And so they were like, well, hot diggity dog, we can make some real cheddar off this. That's what I'm guessing they said. Also, April Farr asked, how does Latisse work? I thought you just painted it on your eyelid skin to make the hair grow thicker, but a listed side effect is possible darkening of your eye color. Should people be fooling around with this for the sake of spidery lashes? It can be true, yeah. So the medication, it doesn't on most people, but mm-hmm. it can. So the lighter your eye is to begin with, the more likely it is to happen. Mm-hmm. So the medication has been shown in people with glaucoma, same thing. So it's a risk if you're taking it as Latisse because it's the same medication that it does get into the eye. That's how it treats your eye disease. And it can change the melanin in your eyeball, in your iris, Mm -hmm. and it can darken the color of your eye. So if you have brown eyes to begin with, it's not going to lighten your eyes. It's not going to change them. Patients, so it is rare. Mm -hmm. But you can have people with blue eyes kind of get darker eyes while they're taking that medication. So from glaucoma, it can happen. If you're using it with Latisse, it can happen as well. With Latisse, you're applying it more on the eyelashes. Mm -hmm. So it's probably less likely to happen if you actually think about it because you're not soaking your eye in it. Right. Uh, But it absolutely is a risk. I mean, I've looked into it. It's so expensive. It's like $100 a month. And then that's why it's nice. I get samples of the glaucoma medication. So if my wife wants it, I can just bring her home some samples. (laughs) Literally, we have lots of people who do that. Like you'll have technicians who in our office who take a bottle home and just put it on a mascara dropper and then rub it on their eyelashes. Yeah. A lot of the reps do it. All the reps for the glaucoma medications do that. Really? Absolutely. (gasps) And I hear that it's way more expensive when it's Latisse versus when it's a glaucoma medication. Well, of course it is. Uh, but yeah, they obviously, when they're selling anything for cosmetic purposes, are going to jack up the price. On the topic of this, Susan Kuro wants to know, how bad are lash extensions for your eyes professionally done? So probably fine most of the time. Okay. Uh, again, what anything can do that's a foreign body or foreign substance throughout the eye is it can cause irritation. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to cause you to go blind, but you can have an allergic reaction. I've had people come in with lash, lash extensions with super swollen eyelids and itchy, burny, kind of just an allergic reaction. If you've had them multiple times and you've never had a problem, it's not going to cause any problems. Okay. It's so weird to be like, oh, we're just going to glue some human hair on our eyeballs. Yeah. Not I, most people will do fine. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Jessica Baumgartner and someone named Liz both said, my eyes are green, but sometimes I think they change to blue or gray, depending on what I'm wearing. Is that bogus or is the color really bringing out my eyes? Uh, As far as bringing out the eye color, your eye is not changing. So your eye is the same. 
So if you wear a different color shirt, it's going to bring it out because of the contrast between the different colors, or it might be reflecting off something. So you catch it in a different light, things like that. Your eyes can look different. Again, it comes, it's not, you sense the color based on the light bouncing back to you, not what the color actually is. So you could see the same item in two different lights and it looks a little different Mm -hmm. because different colors come out differently when they're refracted by different amount of light. So it's like when I turn the lights off in this room, this table gets darker. Yes. Is the table getting darker? No, it's not. Okay, got it. (laughs) Um, One day we're going to have chromatophores like octopuses and we'll just we're going to be able to change them at will that'd be pretty cool one day yeah i'm sure that like the, the latisse people are going to get on that mm-hmm. um anna thompson wants to know do contacts make your eyesight worse over time or was that just something my parents told me so i would get glasses and some contacts in high school uh, people do what's called orthokeratology where they wear hard contact lenses overnight while they sleep and it what? actually flattens your cornea out so when you wake up you don't need glasses the next day what yeah i swear to god so it's actually a big thing uh, in the Asian population, especially like in Los Angeles. And we have some offices out in like Roland Heights in San Gabriel, which are big Chinese and Korean populations. And it's really big out there. So a lot of these patients, their kids are 15 and they are nearsighted and they don't want to be. So instead of having to wear glasses or contacts during the day, they sleep with these orthokeratology contacts and then they wake up the next day and they can see. And then if you don't wear them for three days, you're going to lose your, you're going to go back to being nearsighted again. But as long as you wear them every night, your eye kind of stays up. And, you know, it stays flattened out the cornea so you can see well. It's like a retainer for your eyeball. Kind of, yeah. I like that analogy. It's like a waist trainer. It's like a Kardashian corset. P.S. Before you go Google these old school corsets that are racking up all kinds of new money, please know that a year or two ago, the ones that Kimmy K and the crew endorsed got sued for false claims and for misleading consumers, and they lost the lawsuit. So don't squeeze your organs into an elastic vice because you're fine the way you are and social media is a lie. Okay, bye. I can't imagine it's comfortable, but whatever. Um, Julie wants to know, or no, actually, Laura Eggert Crow wants to know, how can you keep the whites of your eyes super white? Like what causes them to be yellow and dingy and bloodshot? Sure. So your eyes are white on the sclera, but then as we talked about, there's little membranes that cover it, like the conjunctiva. There's blood vessels that flow through all that. Those blood vessels are red. Mm-hmm. So when the eyes are red, it's those blood vessels getting dilated. And that could be because they're irritated. Uh, it can be because you ingested a drug that makes your blood vessels dilate. You know, whatever it may be, if your blood vessels are big, you're going to have redder eyes. The yellow is usually little fat and cholesterol deposits in there as well. And that stuff just kind of comes out when your eyes are tired or dehydrated because, you know, there's less fluid around there and things kind of stand out a little bit more. Really? The best thing you can do to control that stuff is to make sure your eyes aren't dry. So try putting in artificial tears, not the redness removers, uh, lubricating the eyes, you know, refresh, sustain, any of those artificial tears that you see when you go to the drugstore and there's like a wall of 8 billion different products that you have to decide which one's going to work for you. Uh, But any of them that say artificial tears to lubricate the eyes will help. I can't believe that the yellowness is like fatty deposits. Mm -hmm. That's gross. It's not that gross. Eh, It's a little gross. I mean, thinking of like just having like chicken fat under there. Well, it's not chicken fat. It's like eye schmaltz. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. A little bit. Who knew? Okay, so hydrate. Yeah, hydrate's good. But again, it's not just about... Diet plays a big role too. So it's not just about how much water you drink. It's about like what vitamins you're eating. So the Americanized, Westernized diet is very low in omega-3 fatty acids, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we know that having a high dosage of those things can help dry eyes. Oh, 
The next question on my list from Julie is what habits or foods can the average human do to extend their well, eye health? Thank you, Julie, for that wonderful segue. I know. Uh, but you know, eating healthy obviously is important for the health of everything in our body, but the eyes work just like everything else does. So, uh, you know, vitamin A, for example, is good for the health of the retina. And that's why they say eat your carrots because mm -hmm. carrots have vitamin A, uh, eating things that have green leafy vegetables, which are, have high antioxidant levels in them are very important for the health of the eye. Okay. So diseases like macular degeneration, Macular degeneration, by the by, tends to affect more folks over 60, and it's when the central portion of the retina, remember the film in the camera at the back of the eye, deteriorates. It kind of looks like the center of your vision blurs, and I started looking up images of simulations, and then I started thinking of grandmas and grandpas not being able to see their own birthday cakes or trees or their grandkids, and then I started having these painkiller saltwater things come out of my lacrimal glands. So how can we prevent this? Uh, we know that antioxidants are really important. So whenever somebody comes in and is diagnosed with macular degeneration, we put them on an antioxidant supplement. Ooh, mm -hmm. like eat more blueberries for God's sake. Well, we give them a pill, but that's important too. Okay. So yeah, eat blueberries, eat raspberries, eat green leafy vegetables. All that stuff is really important for you know the aging health of your eye. Studies have come out that have showed that you're more likely to get a cataract if you have a diet that's low in vitamin C. Really? You know, just all this stuff, just eat healthy. That's really what it comes down to. There's no magic bullet. Just eat healthy. And your your eyes will be given the best chance you can. And, you know, sometimes you have genetic diseases that you can't control. But, you know, the healthier you eat, the better you're going to do. You know, I did have, um, I had a makeup artist I worked with who had really lovely skin. And she was telling me that she, she just takes a lot of vitamin C and it helped her skin a lot. And I was like, oh, I never thought about vitamin C being helpful for anything other than colds. Oh, yeah. You know it's, what it's I good. mean? It's good stuff. Well, I mean, think about it. You didn't have vitamin C, people would get scurvy. That's like where scurvy came from. Like, it's so important for the health of your body. I only think about it when it comes to being like, oh, I got a cold. I'm sorry, vitamin C, for just booty calling you when I'm sick. Here is Carl asks, semi-serious question. When will eye doctors get equipment that can automatically detect what your vision is so you don't have to go through those nerve-wracking questions about which is better? So, so number one, number Good two. news, Carl. We already have it. What? Yeah. Why? So, I, I had to go through this two days ago. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Okay. It's not as accurate. Oh. So we use that as a starting point and then we fine tune it. Okay. So you can go on a machine that will spit out your, what it thinks is your exact prescription for your glasses. It's going to be pretty close to perfect. Whoa. So sometimes you'll do that and you put that in the little machine, which call four opter where we do the one and two mm -hmm. and you don't have to make any changes and it's right on the money. Wow. Uh, but sometimes you do. Yes. Okay. So Brianna Faust wants to know. What is happening when you're saying better one, better two? And also for me, the, and I thought I was the only person that felt mm -hmm. this way, but every single time I'm like, what if I'm saying the wrong thing and I can't matter. tell? Yeah. So one or two, what we're doing is we're comparing two lenses. So we're flipping little dials inside that machine. So basically we're just playing hot and cold. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're going higher and lower with the numbers till we kind of get to where we know you are. And if you think you're wrong, we double check. So oh, you, you don't do? have to worry. So yeah. So you're not going to, I mean, if you're like really, really bad at it, you could screw it up. But 99% of people, like you say one and then we test it again and then you say two, we're like, okay, this person needs like some triple checks, quadruple checks. <laughs> oh my God, so, I have no idea. Yeah. So if, you know, sometimes we'll see what's called going around in circles on the dial. So mm -hmm. we'll be spinning the dial and you'll go right past where you started and you'll just keep going. And we know, okay, this person needs a little more help to figure out where their true prescription is because they're struggling to tell the difference between these numbers. So 
essentially, if you're like a train wreck about it, they'll discreetly keep asking without you knowing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do things to figure all that out. So you don't need to stress about it because we know that it's not as easy as, as it should be. Um, do you ever see a certain temperament that's worse at making that call? No, not a temperament. I think the older you are, the harder it is sometimes. Oh, it's so scary. Every time I'm like, yeah. what if I what if I just was spacing and gave him yeah. the wrong answer? What's the worst case scenario? Your glasses aren't right and they remake them? Like, come on. I don't You'll be know. okay. I know. I know. But <laughs> it's, it's not the end of the world. And then sometimes I'm like, am I, there's this little part of me that's like, and I, did I say it wrong and I'm going to offend them? And they're going to No, like, what's worse is when I go one or two and the patient goes, yes. Ah. Which happens all the time. All the time. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, this is all not, the time. No, you're like, it is a binary question, but it's yeah, not yeah. a true or false. Yeah, yeah. Like, true. Um, mm-hmm. Zach Martellucci asks, is it true that your eyeballs are the same size throughout your whole life? It is not oh, true. Oh my God. Okay. So your eyes uh, do grow over the first few years of your life mm-hmm. and they're pretty much fully grown at some point in your childhood. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they, they definitely grow after you're born. But apparently we are more likely to take care of a baby if it looks like it has big eyes because it's cuter. That's probable. I, I believe that. Here, do you know the human head with eight Why are babies with glasses the best? I think anytime you see something that's out of the norm of like what you're expecting, it's just adorable. Like a dog with glasses would be adorable. Also cute. Like, I mean, once again, doggles.com killing the game. Aki wants to know, why is looking at the sun a bad idea? Is it worse to look at the sun during a solar eclipse? Or are we just looking at the sun more during a solar eclipse? So it's easier to look at a sun during a solar eclipse because it's not as strong feeling, but the light rays hit you just as hard. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem with a solar eclipse. Normally, if you go try to look at the sun, it's going to really hurt and you're going to turn away. So it's really, really bad for the eyes. Like looking at the sun for a few seconds can blind you. Oh my and God. It literally just torches the center of your, your fovea, the center of your retina, where you have like this really dense layer of rod and cones where you can see everything. Mm-hmm. So you lose like just the center of your vision. You wouldn't go blind completely, Oof. but the center of your vision would be torched. Oh and my God. So what ends up happening, obviously during an eclipse is everyone's like, oh, let's look at the sun. And then people try to look at it. And because it's not as bright feeling, you look at it even harder mm-hmm. and that can cause problems. And then people buy glasses on Amazon they don't realize are counterfeit and then look at the sun and damage their eyes that way, too. Oh, that and then is... you had like, you know, videos of the president staring up at it without glasses at all, which was hilarious. Oh, God. Even the president saw it. But in a move that is not a complete surprise, he looked directly at the sun without any glasses. Perhaps the most impressive thing any president's ever done. So that was a real clip from... Shoot, what network was it? Where are my notes? Oh, yeah, it was Fox News, right? He's that strong. He's that strong. It's He's impressive. That strong. It's impressive. Not I wish I was that strong. Everyone can stare straight into the sun when told not to That's over true. and over again. That's true. He showed us. Oh, God. Hillary Mazer wants to know why do some newborns' <laughs> eyes change color in the first few months? Is it always blue to brown, or can other things happen? So it's usually blue to something darker. Okay. Uh, but essentially, it comes back to the amount of melanin in the in the iris. So they're just still growing melanin and producing melanin when they're a baby. Oh. My son came out with blue eyes, and they're they're kind of like a brownish hazel, but still a little blue. They've definitely changed. He's eight months old, and they've changed. Oh, crazy! So they're just <clears throat> you're just re- you're populating it with melanin as you yep, grow. Exactly. Oh, I didn't know that. Ariel Belk wants to know. I always get these painful styes in my eyes. What's that about? She asks. 
Sure. So that's a good question. It's very common. So we have these little glands in our eyelids called the meibomian glands, which we talked about earlier a little mm-hmm. bit when we talked about dry eyes. But basically oil comes out of those glands and sits on top of your tears. So your tears have layers and the oil is the outer layer that kind of protects them from the world. So your tears don't evaporate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all remember from cooking, oil and water don't mix. So the oil is there as like the final barrier for your tears to protect them. Oh. So that oil comes from your eyelids because it's kind of on the outer part of your eye. And those oil glands can get plugged. And when that happens, they back up with oil and they form a sty. Uh, So it's basically just a ball of that oil that's just kind of formed and gotten stuck in there and can't drain out. So the number one way to treat that is heat. So if you feel that starting, put hot compresses on your eyes like crazy. The more, the better. And give it a chance to kind of melt that stuff out so it can drain out a little bit. Oh, that'll help it get out of the little hole? Correct. Why do they get plugged in the first place? So, again, we think it comes back a lot to some dietary issues as well, uh, but some people are just prone to it. Just the enzymes that live kind of on your eyelid uh, aren't doing what they're supposed to. All the proteins on the eyelid aren't doing what they're supposed to. And, again, we know that it's staring at a screen all day more, it makes this more likely. Oh. Uh, some people have bacteria that lives on their eyelashes that grow way more than they're supposed to, or they can get little mites on their eyelashes that grow, all sorts of gross stuff. Uh, but that stuff all causes inflammation, which causes that to happen. Do you ever see mites on people's eyelashes or are they yeah. so... You see them? Well, you don't see like the literal bug crawling around. Okay. But you know what they look like. They look like little giant clumps of dandruff, like in a little cylinder on the base of the eyelash. Really? Yeah. If you took them and put them under a microscope, you'd see the little bugs. But we know what it is when we see it. And it's pretty common. It's very common. I love that we're never alone. Like you have mites just mm-hmm. hanging tough out Your there. Your entire gut is just filled with bacteria mm-hmm. that are with you all the time. I know you're never alone. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, we've gotten a lot of these, which is awesome. Um, uh, Hillary Blake wants to know, was there anything in your training that stood out for you? Like gave you that, yep, this is what I'm here for moment. Definitely. Uh, I think the best thing about ophthalmology is when you take someone who can't see and you make them see again. Oh my so we'll God. Give you the, the happy feely story here. So I was, a. Uh, second or third year in my training as a resident and I did cataract surgery on this woman and we have her in the office the day after her surgery to take her patch off. So we sent her home with a patch over her eye and she had really bad vision. I think she was legally blind from her cataracts if I remember correctly. And sitting in the exam room with her, we take off her patch and she starts crying. (gasps) And I'm like, what's, is there something wrong? Like what's going on? And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, I've never seen my grandson's face before. Oh my God. I'm yeah. Cry. And like, seriously, I was like, this is the best. This is why I'm doing this. Like nothing felt better than that. And I still have those experiences today. I have people that just like come in so happy because they can see again. And that's the best part about being an eye doctor is you can literally with a 10 minute surgery, take someone from blind to having normal vision. Oh my God. That's just like a, I can just already picture the montage of moments mm-hmm. that you could put together to just make people ball their faces. Oh, off. definitely. One more question, because I know I'm peppering you with a million, but this is a question that we got from Colette Ayers, Melissa Cowan, Dan Engler, Bob Carlson, Tom, uh, Tarmo Toikanen, Kira Litchfield. So many people are like, what are floaters? Why do we get them? Should we be concerned about them? Give us the scoop on floaters. So sometimes you should be concerned about them, but most of the time, no, thankfully. So a floater is just a little piece of the gel inside of your eye causing a shadow. So our eyeball is big and it has to be filled with something to stay, you know, big. Otherwise it would just deflate if it didn't have anything inside of it. 
Weird. So yeah, like if an eye has really, really low pressure, it can actually kind of get a little mushy. Ooh. And if it's really, really at high pressure, like from glaucoma, for example, it'll feel really firm. Ooh. So again, we need something to fill that space to hold it from deflating. Mm-hmm. So there's a thick gel inside there. As we get older, it kind of breaks apart. It becomes more watery. So you can think of it like a kind of a thick jelly. And then as we get older, it becomes more and more watery. Ooh. And so little clumps of it break apart. And those oh. clumps cast shadows onto your retina where you see light. So light comes into your eye and there's a little stringy floaty thing inside of that gel where a little piece of the gel broke apart and it casts a shadow, which is what you're seeing. And then as we get older, you can get the big floater or a, a big series of floaters. And that's because that jelly, when we're younger, is like really thick and attached to the wall of your eye. Mm-hmm. And it detaches from the wall of your eye at some point as we get older. So it's pretty normal, unless it's not. So if you start to see like rando disco lights and you are not in a disco, call the doctor. And so if you see like flash bulbs go off in the corner of your eye and this giant new sea of floaters, you need to get checked because you may have a tear in your retina, which could lead to a full detachment. Mary M. and also Anna M. McDavid asks, what's the deal with detached retinas? Why do they happen? Can they be prevented? Sure. So a detached retina is, think of the retina like wallpaper. And wallpaper, if you get water behind it, it's going to detach, right? It's going to kind of pull off the wall. So inside the eye, the retina is attached to the wall of the eye. And it's held in place by that gel, the vitreous gel. And as the vitreous pulls on it, it can cause a tear. And if that tear forms, fluid gets behind it. And just like your wallpaper with water going behind the wallpaper can pull it off the wall. If water goes behind the retina, it separates it off from the wall of the eye and it detaches. So if we see a hole or a small tear, we laser it closed. So we put like a tack it down with a little ring of laser to hold it in place. Whoa. God, that's crazy. You can just shoot a laser Mm -hmm. and be like, all right, I glued it back. Yep. You're literally just tacking down the retina with crazy. laser yeah like lasers in your eyeballs is mm-hmm. like it's it's crazy that this is the world that we live in that's pretty cool stuff i mean what now okay what about your job sucks like what is the worst thing about your job the overhead dealing with dealing with insurance companies pharmacies all of those things that are just not why anybody went into medicine So it's just such a pain, no matter what your political beliefs are, affiliations, even if you think we have the best system in the world, the worst system in the world, it sucks. So we talked about how shitty the business side of medicine and insurance was for like 17 more minutes. But, you know, episodes can only be so long and I don't want to make any of you shed any psychic tears. Okay, what is the best thing about being an ophthalmologist? Uh, the best thing is just helping people see again. Honestly, it's uh, it's amazing when somebody comes into your office and they come back to see you and they're better. I mean, it's like any field of medicine when you can make someone better in a tangible way. It's awesome. But the instant gratification of having people come to me every day happy because I made an immediate impact on their lives is awesome. Well, thank you for fixing so many people's visions. Oh, I love to do it. You don't need to thank me. I thank them. I hope I am never under your knife. But if I have to be under a knife well, in my eyeballs, I will let you know. If you want those trigiums removed, you know where to find me. Can I, should I get them cut off? No, you don't need to get them cut off. At what point Just because I... they're there, you don't need them removed. You get them removed when they're like causing severe irritation or okay. blurring your vision. They look bad? No, they're barely noticeable. Okay. I only know they're there because I'm an eye doctor. Oh, God. Thank you for being on. Yeah, I'm a pleasure. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. My favorite ophthalmologist. Oh, yeah. am I the only one you know? Yes, but yes. you're my favorite. Okay. So to gently stalk your new favorite ophthalmologist, if you're in the LA area, you have an eye-ish, you can find him at acuityeyegroup.com. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can call if you're, are you ready for this dad pun? Get this, their phone number, 1-800-898-2020. 
I'm literally proud of him for that pun of a phone number. Like, way to go. You can also Google Dr. Reed Wayness. His Yelp comes right up. I'll link it in the show notes too. So take care of your eyes. Don't be afraid of them. And if yours don't work so great or at all, I'm really sorry. And if they work even a little bit, well, ding dang, boy howdy. That's something to appreciate. So if you're having any kind of bad day, just, I don't know, take a sec, like pick a sense, whether it's vision or hearing or smell and just go, whoa, dude, that works. And I'm just a big lump of bones and water and carbon molecules who experiences stuff and has secret thoughts and eats bananas and gets to dream. So that's cool. Senses are cool. Whichever ones you have, let's appreciate them. And remember, ask smart people stupid questions because they have incredible, crazy stories. And no question is actually stupid. And our time here is short. So whatever. Now, thank you to Aaron Talbert and Hannah and River Lippo for moderating the very great group of folks in the Facebook group. And special thanks go to Gage Martin this week, who posted something in the Facebook group asking why we didn't cover the HIV AIDS epidemic in last week's epidemiology episode. And I read that and like literally hit my own forehead being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. So I just want to say I'm so, so sorry that we didn't. That was a huge oversight on my part. I had a Patreon question selected about it, but we went too long in the interview and and I rushed the rapid fire. So I'm so sorry I didn't address it in an aside because HIV awareness and research is a cause I've been committed to personally. My omitting it really disappointed me. I really fucked that up there. Thank you, Gage, for being so cool and asking. And we had a, a really nice chat about it on Facebook Messenger. Um, Anyone can check out this podcast will kill you's episodes on HIV and AIDS. They're well-researched and great. Um, also on Instagram, I posted a photo of the CDC's tick-laden muffin, and y'all lost your shit just barfing in the comments. And for that, I am not really sorry. I'm just not. I did it because I loved you. Be careful for, of ticks. Also, thank you, Bonnie Dutch. Happy birthday. And Shannon Feltis for helping run the merch site, ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, as always, to the man, the mustache, Stephen Ray Morris, for editing these episodes together. I would be screaming into the void were it not for him. Nick Thorburn of the band Islands wrote and performed the theme music. Uh, and if you listen to the very, very end of the show, you know I tell a secret at the end of each episode. And this is both relevant and timely and kind of gross. But literally, I'm writing and recording this episode. I wake up with a sty in my eye. I haven't had one in, I swear to God, like a decade. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me with this eye episode? So I looked in my super up-close mirror, the one that is like horrifyingly informative. And then I had to take a Q-tip and kind of like swab at it. Very gratifying, but also really bizarre timing. Like, is this how manifesting works? Did I use a secret? To get an eye pimple? What is life? Okay, bye bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, ethnobacterology, nephology, seriology, cellulology. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, 
but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.